Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Two years ago, I found myself on an elk hunting trip with three of my buddies. We had set up camp near Akaya, Oregon, or at least that's what I think it was. The days were spent scouting for elk, and the evenings were filled with laughter, storytelling, and, of course, drinking screwdrivers around the campfire. One particular night, as we sat around the fire, we were all in high spirits, sharing our adventures from the day. Suddenly, out of nowhere, a loud, undulating scream echoed through the forest, cutting through our laughter and chilling us to the bone. 
It was unlike anything any of us had ever heard before, and it sent a wave of fear through the camp. Instinctively, we all jumped up and ran for our guns, our hearts pounding in our chests. The adrenaline coursed through our veins as we frantically scanned the dark woods surrounding the camp, trying to pinpoint the source of the terrifying sound. As we stood there, weapons at the ready, we caught a glimpse of a large, shadowy figure moving swiftly through the trees. The sheer size and speed of the creature was enough to make us believe that it was a Sasquatch, a creature we had all heard stories about but never truly believed in until that moment. Just as quickly as it had appeared, the creature vanished into the darkness, leaving us all standing there, dumbfounded and shaken. We gathered around the campfire once again, our previous mirth replaced by a sense of unease. We spent the rest of the night discussing the incident, trying to rationalize what we had experienced. Over time, the memory of that night has faded, but the feeling of fear and awe that the scream evoked still lingers. We've shared our story with others some of whom believe us, while others dismiss it as a product of our overactive imaginations and too many screwdrivers. The experience I'd like to share with you happened in the summer of 2002. I was 20, still living at home in a rental, in a rental in East Mesa, Arizona, with my 18-year-old brother and my mother. As you may know, Arizona has a typically six-month-long scorching, dry summer climate, and being a transplant from beautiful northern Cali, it was hard for us to adapt. Anyhow, and it was a hot summer night in late May or early June. My brother had just graduated high school, and I was working full-time during the day. We spent our evening talking and laughing and playing music. It really was a memorably enjoyable night. At about 10.30, I noticed that the front porch light had again burned out, as it had been doing for about 18 months prior to that. In fact, both of the lights over the driveway and three lights in our backyard were continually ceasing to function, and it seemed I was always buying bulbs and expensive strobe light bulbs. I don't know if this is somehow connected to what happened next. First, I must add that our front door was set back into the house with the garage protruding. Our front yard was much deeper than the backyard and was overshadowed by three velvet mesquite and a chinaberry tree and various species of kala cacti. So the street light did little to penetrate the den of darkness. I turned the lamplight to my bedroom, which was really an office nook right next to the front door, which had a large latticed picture window with run of the mill blinds. I opened the blinds, and the light flooded the wall of the garage. What I saw made my skin crawl. There on the stucco wall was something. It was only about 10 to 12 feet from where I was standing. The only way to describe it was that it looked like a giant headless moth. I called my brother overexcitedly. I clearly remember our conversation. What do you suppose that is? I have no idea. It must be a bat of some sort. But we only have micro bats here in Arizona. And I've always heard that bats hang upside down. I guess it could be a giant moth. We do live in the desert. I thought moths were attracted to light. The lights are all burnt out again. We talked for a moment and stood next to the glass panes adjacent to the front door, the bedroom light illuminating all the while. 
and the thing did not stir or move. We decided it was about 18 inches to 2 feet long from blunt top to wing bottom. It was very clear, yet very dark, almost black, and no antennae were visible. It hung on the wall like a moth, but was about the size of a medium-sized fruit bat, which I believe only exists in Asia. It was about five or six feet off the ground. My mother came and had a look and shuddered and refused to stand near the door. We were both young and curious, and my brother said, Let's go have a look at it then. We swung the door and security screen open, and he took a step over the door jamb. I was suddenly struck with an unreal, unearthly fear and grabbed his shoulder. He looked back at me and later said, I had the most wholly terrified look on my face that he had ever seen. I am afraid and tingly even writing this. Without a word, he stepped back inside and we locked both doors and closed the blinds and camped out in the living room, only going to sleep after several thoughtful conversations. The very next morning at sunrise, I went out to the wall with a tape measure, and my brother and mom stood at the door and directed me as to where and how high and how long this thing had been planted. There was no trace of anything. The dust on the stucco looked the same all around, with no residue or anything. When they were both satisfied with the positioning, I read the tape measure, 28 inches, my mother walked back into the house and has absolutely refused to speak of it since. My brother and I are both keenly interested in animal-insect plant life via books and media, and I have taken in my course in Southwest Biology, and neither of us has ever seen or heard of anything matching its description. My husband was raised here and said the only thing he could think of that size was an owl, but this was no owl. What was it? Perhaps it is a real animal we could not identify. Has someone had a similar experience or know what it could be? We are not exaggerating, people. We are level-headed and analytical. Thank you for your time. I never imagined the forest I patrolled could harbor such sinister secrets. My name is Alex and I was a park ranger stationed in a remote, dense forest known as Ravenwood. For years, I had been responsible for ensuring the safety of visitors and protecting the fragile ecosystem within its boundaries. Ravenwood was vast, ancient, and filled with mysteries, but nothing could have prepared me for the chilling events that unfolded deep within its heart. It all started one crisp autumn evening as I was concluding my rounds. The sun had already dipped below the horizon, casting long shadows among the towering trees. I was about to head back to my ranger station when I heard it, a soft, barely perceptible whisper that seemed to come from the very trees themselves. At first, I dismissed it as a trick of the wind, a figment of my fatigued imagination, but the voice persisted, growing stronger and more insistent with every step I took towards the source. It beckoned me deeper into the woods, its eerie, melodic tone drawing me in like a siren song. I couldn't resist the allure of those whispers, and I ventured further, guided solely by their spectral voices. My flashlight cut a narrow beam through the inky darkness, revealing gnarled roots and twisted branches that seemed to reach out for me. My footsteps were muffled by the thick carpet of fallen leaves, but the whispers were always there just ahead, just out of reach. Hours seemed to pass as I pressed on, 
the forest around me growing denser and more oppressive. The air grew cold, and an unnatural hush settled over the woods. It was as if nature itself held its breath, awaiting some terrible revelation. Finally, I reached a clearing deep within the forest, and there, bathed in the faint glow of the moonlight, I saw it, a colossal ancient tree, unlike any I had ever encountered. Its massive roots writhed and twisted like serpents, and its branches loomed overhead like skeletal arms. The whispers grew more intense, swirling around me in a maddening crescendo. It was then that I realized the truth. These were not ordinary voices. They were the voices of the damned, the echoes of tormented souls that had become one with the forest. As I stood there, trembling with fear, the ground beneath me trembled and the massive tree began to uproot itself, revealing a gaping black maw at its base. From that abyss emerged a nightmarish creature, an amalgamation of roots, earth, and shadow. Its hollow eyes locked onto mine, and I knew that I had uncovered a horrifying secret hidden for centuries. The creature's intentions were clear. It hungered for my soul, and it was a fate that countless others had met before me. With a surge of adrenaline, I turned and fled, the whispers of the forest now shrieking in rage as I distanced myself from the ancient malevolence. I ran faster than I ever had, guided only by the light of the moon and the distant beams of my flashlight. The forest seemed to conspire against me, its roots and branches reaching out to ensnare me, but I was determined to escape the clutches of that eldritch horror. Hours later, I stumbled back into the safety of the ranger station, my heart pounding in my chest. I knew that I had uncovered a darkness that should have remained hidden, a secret that would haunt me for the rest of my days. I left Ravenwood never to return, haunted by the whispers that still echoed in my mind. The forest had revealed its malevolent secret to me, and I had narrowly escaped its grasp. But I knew that Ravenwood would always be there, waiting for the next unsuspecting soul to venture too deep into its heart and I could only hope that they would heed the warning of the haunted whispers and turn back before it was too late. It was a day like any other in Wyoming. As a park ranger, my job was as routine as it came, patrolling, maintaining, and ensuring the safety of the park's wildlife and visitors. My name's Bernie, by the way. That evening, I decided to take a walk through a cornfield. I often went ball hunting in my free time, so naturally, I had my bow and arrows with me. The cornfield was silent except for the rustle of the cornstalks dancing in the breeze. The sun was setting, casting long, eerie shadows that blanketed the field. Suddenly, I felt an odd sensation, like I wasn't alone. It was a primal instinct, that gut feeling of being watched. As I turned around, I came face to face with a huge creature that towered over me. I gasped, my heart pounding in my chest. The creature stood upright, like a man but covered in thick, matted hair. Its eyes were intense, almost human. I realized then that I was looking at what can only be described as Bigfoot. Fear gripped me, but instinct took over. I reached for my bow and let an arrow fly. It struck the creature square in the chest. With a monstrous roar, it fell to the ground. Slowly, 
I approached the fallen beast, my heart hammering in my chest. But as I neared, the body just vanished. One moment it was there. The next, it was as if it had never existed at all. Dumbfounded and terrified, I sprinted back home. My wife, seeing the ashen color of my face, commented that I looked as white as a cloud. I could barely stammer out what had happened. That evening changed me. Every rustle in the trees, every shadow in the field. I wondered if the creature was watching. Years ago, I experienced something that still haunts me to this day. At the time, I was dating my abusive ex, though I was still deeply in love with him. It's difficult to admit now, but back then, I couldn't see the reality of our relationship. One day, we were sitting together on a bench in Yellowstone National Park, and I found myself laying in his lap while he gently ran his hand through my hair. I remember looking up at him and noticing something strange, as if there was something else present with us. Suddenly, a piercing sound filled my ears, and for a brief moment, I saw a demonic face overlapping my exes. The demon had horns, and its flesh appeared rough, possibly burnt. Thick gray smoke swirled around it. It was only for a moment, but I saw the demon laughing, and I got you kind of laugh. It was utterly chilling. I've never experienced anything supernatural before or since that incident, and I had never even believed in demons until then. I don't discuss this encounter with many people for obvious reasons, but the memory remains vivid. One day, years after the incident, I was hiking in a national park, and I met a park ranger named Tom. After chatting for a while and feeling a sense of trust, I decided to share my eerie story with him. To my surprise, Tom told me that he had heard of similar experiences from other people who had visited the park over the years. He revealed that some people believed the park was haunted by dark energies that could manifest themselves in various ways. Tom's knowledge of these stories brought me a strange sense of comfort as it made me feel less alone in my experience. We continued to talk about the supernatural and shared other stories we had heard. By the end of our conversation, I felt a bond with Tom, and I was grateful to have met someone who could understand and validate what I had gone through. As I left the park that day, I couldn't help but wonder about the dark forces that might be lurking in the shadows, waiting to prey on unsuspecting victims. The park that I service gets little to no traffic anymore. Part of that is simply because of how small the town is. Another part of that is today's Americans just don't get out for the fresh air anymore. It's kind of sad, really. I see video games of the new fresh air of today and tablets and phones and electronics. A lot of them involve getting out into the wild and enjoying fresh air and hunting and surviving. Nobody is really into that anymore. People would rather literally pay money for a simulation. Then they could just go out themselves and do it. And yet, even as little traffic as our park gets, I still find just enough litter to make me irritated. As if people get out into nature just long enough to ruin it for everyone else. I was cleaning up some wrappers off a park bench when, among them, I noticed something different. There was one of these corn husk dolls. The kind that are fashioned after the type that Native Americans used to make. 
It didn't have a face, just a blank knob for a head and four nubs for arms and legs. Cute and creepy, I thought to myself, until I noticed a small piece of paper rolled up and tucked into one of its folds. I enrolled it out of curiosity, and it said, Hello there. I smirked and threw it. After I was done picking up all the trash, I went back to my patrol car. When there was another corn doll stuck behind the handle of the door, it too had another message that it read. I said, Hello. I kind of prickled and looked around. As far as I could tell, I was the only person in the park, and I hadn't seen or heard anyone. But then again, I was very absorbed in my work when I was picking up trash. It's possible that somebody was watching me and playing an elaborate prank just so they could do it for, you know, giggles. Still, I didn't like to think that somebody had gotten by me like that. I quickly got inside my car, shut the door, and no sooner had I done that, I noticed a third doll sitting on my steering wheel also having another note that said, Could you use a hand? I nearly sawed myself when something smacked into the windshield. It took a second to fully register, but I realized it was a severed arm in hand cut off at the elbow. Immediately, I radioed out that we had something going on in the park, and the response came fairly quick, as you would suggest and expect. But I wasn't sure if it was soon enough to keep whoever this was inside the park. I brought everybody up to speed, and there was a very thorough sweeping. They didn't find anything. No body, no killer, nothing, not even another doll. Forensics even did tests on the severed arm, and unfortunately found that it belonged to a child that had been missing for over two months. The arm that hit my windshield is relatively fresh, so that meant the kid had died recently. The rest of the day kind of went by in a haze. I felt like a failure for not catching this monster in all the moments that I could have when he was tampering with my car. Again, we never found anything, and the person was never caught. It's a mystery that will always be left as just that, a mystery. As a park ranger, I have seen a lot of odd things in my time. We get people that come out here for all sorts of reasons, especially in the camping area when it's off-season. I've stumbled across all sorts of weird stuff, but so long as that weird stuff is legal and consensual, if you get my drift, then that's up to them. No judgment. Most of them can't even look you in the eye the next morning, and we just have a small chuckle about that. As I said, if you are consenting adults, it's your own business. But one time I came across something that ended up being a police investigation. You see... I was out and about performing one of the last evening patrols before heading home for the night. We had three tents booked in that night, and it was getting towards winter when the camping area would be closed. Two couples had appeared, and one family with a mother, dad, and two small babies. The tents were fairly spaced out, and just before midnight, everything was quiet. I just finished up heading back to the office to sign off when I saw a young girl, probably no older than 18, run past me. She was just in her underwear, and from the quick flash I saw of her face before running off to the trees, she was terrified, all wide in mouth, ready to scream. Immediately, I turned around, shining my flashlight in the direction she'd ran off to. There was nothing. I headed that way and looked all around, calling out even. Nothing. I recalled the three ladies that were booked into the campsite. They were all older, the mom was likely in her later thirties, and the two women and the couples were around their mid-twenties, I would think. 
There was no good reason for a young girl to be running around in the dead of night when it was freezing cold. So I went through protocol and alerted colleagues and police. They headed out and conducted a more thorough search, woke the campers who were not happy that the babies had been disturbed, but there was no trace, literally no trace. I'm talking zero footprints where I'd seen her. No apparent way in or out that showed any evidence somebody had even ran through here, and no reports of missing teen girls or bodies showing up. I was relieved, but at the same time not exactly sure what I saw. It did leave the question of what the hell did I see, or did I possibly hallucinate it? I guess time will tell. So recently, May, my wife, and the rest of the family that lives with us have been hearing and or smelling strange sounds. At first, we thought it was the stray cats or raccoons. But then things started getting weirder. We started hearing sounds. Sometimes it would be footsteps. Other times we would hear knocking. We thought maybe we smoked a bit too much of the devil's lettuce. But everyone else in the house was also hearing these things. That's when the sound started sounding like people talking to us. But the weird thing was, it always sounds like they are incredibly far away. The most recent thing was the smell of a rotten corpse of some kind. But I couldn't for the life of me remember when I last smelled a corpse like that. The smell seemed almost intense, as if it were right in front of me. I checked around our home and under it to make sure there were no dead animals. This happened at almost twelve at night. When my wife and I were outside smoking, I had my brother come out and check, and even he agreed that it wasn't just me who smelled it. He said it smells like a corpse of person. That's when I remembered why the smell seemed so familiar, because a man had died a few years ago, and I remember how many times we walked by his corpse. They realized he died inside the wall, but I never forgot the smell. It was a very horrid smell. Still... That smell only has happened once, and it hasn't come back that I know of. I'm usually one to think of scientific reasons. I ended up checking if any possible sewage had leaked from a pipe or if it came from our neighbor's home, but nothing seemed out of the ordinary. These weird happenings only seem to happen at night, and most of the people who live near us are usually asleep by 10 p.m., and we stay up till about 12 or 1 in the morning. My neighbors have told me that on the few occasions they have been outside at that hour, they say they feel uncomfortable or they hear something, but they chalk up to maybe the random animals or them being tired. I'll post an update if anything significant happens. I would also like any opinions or theories to know what it might be. My name is Alex, and I'm an experienced park ranger with years of service under my belt. I never could have imagined the terrifying ordeal that awaited me when I agreed to lead a team of scientists and archaeologists on an expedition to study an ancient Native American settlement in a remote, uncharted area of the National Park. As we delved deeper into the ruins, the atmosphere grew heavy with a palpable sense of history. The settlement was remarkably well-preserved, a testament to the ingenuity of the people who had once called it home. 
But as we continued our exploration, we stumbled upon a horrifying scene. The bodies of over 50 people, all brutally slaughtered. It soon became apparent that the settlement had been ravaged by a long, dormant supernatural creature, a wendigo that killed people on sight. The mere mention of its name sent shivers down our spines, and we knew that we had to find a way to stop the creature before it could wreak further havoc. As we searched for answers, we found a series of runes etched into the walls of a hidden cave. The symbols told the story of the Wendigo, its origins, and most importantly, the method to banish it from this world. With no time to lose, we worked together to decipher the runes and perform the ritual needed to rid the world of the Wendigo. The air crackled with energy as we recited the ancient incantation, and the Wendigo let out a blood-curdling scream that echoed throughout the settlement. As the creature writhed in agony, it finally vanished, banished from this realm by the power of the ancient magic. But as we stood at among the ruins, our relief was tempered by the knowledge that we were too late to save the lives of those who had fallen victim to the Wendigo's wrath. The settlement, once a thriving community, now stood as a haunting testament to the dark forces that had brought about its demise. As we returned to the park, the weight of our discovery weighed heavily upon us. The ancient settlement and the tragic fate of its inhabitants would remain a somber reminder of the mysteries that lay hidden within the depths of the national park and the darkness that sometimes lurked just beneath the surface of our world. It happened five years ago. The official ruling was that his death was caused by a rogue bear attack. You know, when a bear gets a little too used to eating human food so it doesn't feel threatened anymore, and attacks a human. They all know it wasn't a bear, though. Bears don't leave wounds like that. And they sure as hell don't pose the body 70 feet up in a dead tree. Yeah, I said pose, but before I get into the details, I should explain a bit about myself. Now, I'm a park ranger in a very popular national park in the northern United States. I don't want to say exactly which one, although I doubt I'll keep my job for much longer. Anyway, that's partially why I'm posting this. I need to tell somebody else about this story, and like I said, my colleagues don't want to talk about it. Being a park ranger has given me a lot of weird stories, and everybody is used to weird happening in the woods. But this was on a completely different level. For days, we had been getting reports from campers and hikers about strange noises coming from a section of deep backcountry forests. Growls yipping, even human. Sounding voices. Equipment and food had been going missing from backcountry campgrounds. All pretty typical stuff that can be explained away pretty easily. Many animals thieve food, make weird noises. And even the human voices can be explained by the sound that foxes and mountain lions make at night. But we needed to investigate either way because an animal that is conditioned to human food is dangerous. So we sent our veteran backcountry ranger, Craig McKay. This guy had been working there for 30 years, was an expert outdoorsman, and was my mentor when I first started. As always, he jumped into the task always eager to go into the backcountry, even though he was getting a little older. I'll pause now and let Craig tell the rest of the story. Well, his journal will have to tell the rest of the story because he isn't alive to tell it. I found his journal. 
a flashlight in his backpack inside a small cave near the location of his body. A couple of days after he didn't return, and we had sent out a search party to find him. I haven't shared this journal with anyone, not even the other rangers until now. I'm not exactly sure why I've kept it hidden. Other than that, the truth seems so messed up and unreal. I didn't want it to damage people's memory of Craig. I'm not even sure if I believe it myself. Everything I'm going to read to you, he had written down over the two days he was out on his backcountry excursion. October 21st, 2011, Day 1. Today was a long day, and I can't say that I've made much progress. I've hiked about 15 miles over the course of the day, starting down in the gully, where the reports first started and ending up at my current camp, which is on the southwest side of Bald Knob. I figure it's a good enough place to keep an eye out for anything coming and going through the valley. Earlier, I found some tracks in the ground in the area, and as close as I can tell, they're from a mountain goat. Odd that it would travel alone, but maybe it was separated from its herd or dying. It had an odd gait. I followed them for a while, but they didn't lead anywhere, so I abandoned them. Near the tracks was a pervasive smell of death, and I'm assuming a goat got separated and died. Tomorrow I'm planning to hike across the valley to the mountain on the opposite side and see if I can't catch a track of whatever is harassing the campers. October 22nd, 2011, morning of day two. Quick note while I eat breakfast. Last night was a long night, one of the longest I've had in a while. About an hour after going to bed, I heard light steps near the campsite. I grabbed the rifle and went out to investigate. No lights so my eyes could stay adjusted to the dark. The second I stepped out of my tent, the noise stopped. Whatever was there knew that I was watching. I made a couple of circles around the campsite and found nothing, but I could feel something watching me from the shadows. As I got back into my tent, I thought I saw a tall silhouette. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. In the clearing, but I must have just been seeing things. It was too skinny to be a bear, and nothing else is that tall. The strong scent of death was still present and kept me wary all night. Today's mission has changed. I just got a radio call that a couple of hikers haven't returned when they were supposed to last night and might be lost. I'm still crossing the valley today, but this time to reach where the hikers were supposed to be. Last October 22nd, 2011, night of day two. Stopped for the night in the valley, cooking dinner now. Chicken and rice again. Dead tired, and I'm getting too old for this. No progress on the hikers, and still smells like death, though much stronger than before. I've just heard some sounds that sound like they could be voices. I can't get the radio to work in this valley. Looks like I'm not getting dinner tonight after all. Going to take a light pack and see if I can follow these voices. October 22nd, 2011, night of day two. Second entry scribbled. Dear God, what did I find? 
barely made it to this cave. I can hear it scratching and gurgling outside. Going to try and block the entrance and see if I could stay here overnight, I found out where the smell of death came from. Got the cave entrance cracked, covered with a large rock and some brush. It will have to do. The beast is still outside, clawing at the crack in the rock. Don't think I'll sleep tonight anyway. Not after what I saw. I might as well record this because these might be my last words. For the first time in my career, I'm scared. I don't even know what I saw. It was huge, about seven and a half feet tall and possibly fast. Smells like putrid meat. Earlier, when I left camp, the voices outside became more and more persistent. They were definitely human voices. I followed them until I reached the clearing, and suddenly everything went silent. No voices, no hikers. It sounded like the forest itself was holding its breath. I heard a slight sound behind me before I was thrown off my feet. Knocked the wind out of me. My rifle was ripped from my hand before I could even use it. I was picked up by my leg and thrown across the clearing. I could feel its claws digging like knives into my muscle. The thing dragged me up right against the tree, and I could feel its breath on my neck, breathing out a putrid smell. I could feel the blood pouring from my leg and soaking into my pants. The agonizing pain from the wound left me trembling. I could feel the weight of its body as it pushed up against me, ready to go in for the kill. I heard the smack of its mouth opening and prepared myself to die when a crash in the distance distracted the beast, long enough for me to make a break for it. I ran for my life, and I didn't look back, but knew it wasn't far behind me. About twenty feet away was the entry to this cave that I was able to squeeze into. It's still outside. I could hear it shuffling around, trying to get into the crack, and I could hear the heavy breathing, the sucking, gasping sound coming from its mouth. I have no idea what I'm going to do. Dear God, please help me out of this. I want to see my wife again. I want to see my kids again. My nose is filled with the putrid smell of impending death. If I make it through the night, my plan is to wait until first light and try to escape back to the ranger station. Those are the last words we have by Craig McKay. When he never reported back, we assumed his radio had gone out of range. But after a couple of days, we sent a search party to find him. Well, we found him all right. From the tracks, it looks like Craig left the cave early the next day. He makes it about 50 feet from the cave entrance when a second set of tracks catches up to him. Goat tracks more specifically, a goat with only two legs. The gait matches something that would be a bit more than seven feet, like Craig described in his journal. What we found of Craig was dragged 70 feet up a nearby tree and torn to pieces. He was hardly recognizable. His torso was jammed onto a short branch on the tree that kept him hanging there, his arms splayed out to his sides. His innards were strewn around the base of the tree. The jagged shadow remains of his leg bones stuck out of the early snowfall that had come to the mountains this year. Nothing appeared eaten or missing, but not a single piece of him was left untouched by the monster. It took the rest of the day and a special rope team to get him down. The missing hikers were never found. Those scraps of clothing matching what they were wearing have been found in the same valley where Craig died. Like I said earlier, the official story is a bear attack. Bears don't do this. We don't know what did this. 
We've rerouted trails to stay away from this area, but we still hear reports of human sending voices coming from the woods. And we've had some more hikers than normal go missing in the last five years. They are found, but it's always too late. Some are arranged like Craig was. Broken warnings to other hikers who dare intrude upon the beast's forest. Some are just never seen again. My name is John, a seasoned park ranger assigned to mentor a rookie named Ethan. On his first assignment, we ventured deep into the remote backcountry of the vast national park, eager to pass on my knowledge and experience. Little did I know, our routine patrol would quickly become a harrowing fight for survival. We stumbled upon a series of gruesome animal killings that defied any logical explanation. The carcasses were left in a manner that suggested no known predator was responsible. As we investigated further, we discovered the existence of a pack of supernatural predators that could blend into the shadows, moving silently and unseen. These creatures were unlike anything we'd ever encountered, and their mere presence sent a chill down our spines. Ethan and I knew we had to overcome our fears and rely on our skills to outwit these elusive predators. Our priority was to alert the public to the danger lurking within the park's borders, but we knew we needed to act fast. We devised a plan to lure the creatures into a trap, using our knowledge of the terrain and animal behavior to our advantage. Unfortunately, our plan did not go as smoothly as we had hoped. As we managed to ensnare the predators in our carefully laid traps, Ethan became separated from me. I heard him cry out and my heart sank as I realized that my young protege had fallen victim to the creatures we were trying to stop. Despite the pain and guilt that weighed heavily upon me, I pressed on capturing the remaining predators. As I stood there mourning the loss of Ethan, a government helicopter suddenly arrived. Before I could react, a group of armed agents emerged and locked me in, taking the captured predators with them. I demanded answers, but my pleas fell on deaf ears. The helicopter took off, leaving me with a sinking feeling that I would never learn the truth about the creatures or the government's involvement. After that day, no one ever saw or heard from me again. My disappearance became one of the many mysteries that haunted the park, a chilling reminder of the unknown dangers lurking in the shadows. I remember back in high school, my religion teacher shared some jaw, dropping stories with us. He claimed to have worked as an assistant to the local exorcist involved in intense spiritual battles against the forces of darkness. It was an unexpected twist in our religious education, but it certainly grabbed our attention. He recounted encounters where he had direct conversations with the devil himself. These exchanges were chilling and unsettling as he described the cunning and manipulative nature of the fallen angel, the things he heard during those interactions would send shivers down our spines. But it did stop there. My teacher went on to describe the physical manifestations that accompanied these exorcisms. He spoke of furniture being violently thrown across the room as if an invisible force was wreaking havoc. The intensity of these encounters was like something out of a horror movie. 
What intrigued us even more was the revelation that most of the people who required exorcism were practitioners of Satanism. It seemed that their involvement in dark rituals and worshiping the devil had invited malevolent entities into their lives. As unsettling as it was to hear, it reinforced the importance of spiritual discernment and the need for protection against evil influences. Those stories stayed with me long after high school. They challenged my beliefs and made me question the existence of supernatural forces. While I couldn't fully comprehend or verify the authenticity of my teacher's experiences, they served as a reminder of the constant struggle between good and evil that transcends the boundaries of our physical world. Whether or not one believes in the paranormal, these stories opened up discussions and expanded our understanding of faith, spirituality, and the power of belief. It was a unique and unforgettable chapter in my high school experience where the lines between reality and the supernatural blurred, leaving us with more questions than answers. This happened nine years ago in the early spring when I was 15 years old, spring 2014. I was at a friend's house in corn country about an hour north of Indianapolis. Nowadays, I am very familiar with the paranormal unexplained, having multiple shared experiences with friends, but at the time I was a major skeptic. I didn't fully process what we saw until years later. I came over to my friend's house to hang out like any other time. I brought my pellet gun, he had one as well, so we could shoot some moles on his farm property. After a while, his brother joined us, and we eventually got bored of looking for moles. There was a patch of woods about the size of two football fields, a little over a mile away, completely surrounded by empty cornfields with no access points from the nearby road. The three of us decided to walk out there, because why not? We were bored kids looking for fun. We put on some boots and headed out with our pellet guns. The walk wasn't super far, but it took us a while to reach the woods because all the spring rain from earlier in the week made the empty field a big mud pit. So muddy, your foot disappears with each step. Then right as we walked through the brush surrounding the edge of the woods, we saw it. The best way I can describe this thing is it was a raccoon that was built like a Great Dane. We had seen coyotes and wolves before, and this was not that. It 100% looked like the biggest raccoon we had ever seen. We could tell we caught it off guard because it was just standing there on all fours grooming itself. And then it immediately locked eyes with us when one of us pointed at it and said, Look at that thing. There were a couple of seconds where we just looked at it as it looked back at us before it quickly turned around and scaled a 60-feet tree. We lost sight of it in the canopy. We then looked at each other and were like, WTF was that. We talked about how the way it climbed the tree was what freaked us out the most. It only took a few strides up the tree, using its front two paws to grab a spot on the tree to lift and launch itself up the tree. The arms were freakishly long and lanky looking when it climbed. It honestly looked somewhat human in the way it articulated its arms as it climbed, like its elbows jutted out to the sides as it pulled itself up. We talked about how freaky that was some more and decided to keep looking around because even though we were spooked, it was intriguing and we wanted to see if there was any other freaky stuff around. 
There definitely was. The woods were littered with easily over 100 animal carcasses, bone piles. Most of them were cows, raccoons, and opossums. There was one spot, maybe 25 by 25 feet, that had at least a dozen cow carcasses ranging from just the bone left to one that looked less than a week old. They were definitely being eaten by something with huge chunks of flesh missing. I know cows get loose all the time, but damn if this didn't look like a feeding spot. My theory is this thing was stealing cows from local farms for food. There are a couple within five miles. We also found a man, made small pond near the middle of the woods, which couldn't have been more than six feet wide. A shovel and plastic bucket was sitting next to it. Once we found that, we're pretty freaked out again and decided we'd better head back because we had less than two hours of daylight left and there was a lot of thick, deep mud to slowly walk through to get back. That's pretty much it. At the time, it freaked me out a bit, but looking back now, knowing what skinwalkers are, I'm just happy we came back completely unscathed. Unfortunately, I don't hang out with those guys anymore and I tried to go back with some different friends. Somewhat recently, only to see that the woods had been cleared out, and there was nothing there. I thought I was tripping out, but I looked on Google Earth, and I could see in its place was dirt and log piles. Probably an omen to not chase this thing. I'll take it at face value. I haven't heard of the dogman, but this thing didn't look like a dog coyote at all. I just used Great Dane as a size comparison as it was freakishly large to be looking like a raccoon. Yes, it had a striped tail like a raccoon. It had the face of a raccoon, specifically the large black spots around its eyes. Stubby, almost rounded ears like a raccoon. It had bushy fur like a raccoon. We saw it very clearly with no obstructions from about 30-40 feet away. It was early spring, and the brush inside the canopy was still dead. I used to hunt in Leon County at my family's old homestead that has been around since the late 1800s. The uh, frame house that my grandmother was born in is still standing. It was built in 1920, I believe, and I would drive in from College Waco and spend the night while hunting down there. We were always scared to be alone in that house just because of all the old furniture and pictures, etc. I fell asleep on the couch one night when a norther was blowing through. I remember awaking briefly, thinking it had gotten cold, but fell right back to sleep. In the morning when I woke up, I had an old quilt draped over me, this was not a quilt that would have just been draped over the couch. In fact, my mother confirmed later that she had that quilt put up in a closet. It sounds crazy, but I have no other explanation. I had no recollection of ever getting up. I'm a believer in guardian angles, and that is all I can sum this experience up to. Needless to say, it was several years before I stomached up the nerve to sleep alone in that house again. My mom, dad, and cousin each have a story that take place on the same patch of road in Mexico. I'll tell them as they were relayed to me, individually. My parents actually met here in the United States, but they grew up in neighboring pueblos in Mexico. 
Connecting the two pueblos is a long, empty span of road, maybe five miles, long, which is apparently haunted. These stories take place many years apart, but on the exact same patch of road. When my dad was a young man, he loved horses, jerry pose, and drinking. While he has since put down the bottle, he still loves horses and jerry pose, lol, but back in the day, he would occasionally ride his horse out across the road to the neighboring Pueblo to hang out or hit up some parties. One early morning, he was returning home on horseback from a party in the neighboring Pueblo. He was a bit drunk and was just casually making his way home when suddenly the air grew still and the night went silent. He said something just felt off and his horse could sense it as well. My dad says that you can always tell what a horse is focusing on by looking at their ears, and in this case, my dad's horse's ears were perked up stiff and focusing at the empty field beside them, as well as all around them, thinking that there might be some sort of animal stalking them. My dad looked around, but the fields beside them were empty and there weren't any bushes or things for an animal to hide behind. Suddenly the air went cold and my dad felt goosebumps on the back of his neck, almost as if something was right behind him. That's when my dad's horse couldn't take it anymore and took off running for its life. My dad held on tightly and tried several times to bring the horse to a stop, but it was dead set on getting the hell away from whatever they had just encountered. Eventually they finally reached their pueblo and the horse calmed down and came to stop. Never before or after had the horse behaved that way, and it left my dad shook up. Needless to say, he was sober by the time he reached home. Me, my uncle, and my cousins went to this site to hunt deer. We lined up six abreast on the far side of the trench to push any deer out. As we walked along, I inadvertently got forced down into the trench. I then kept with the direction of the trench. After a short time, I smelled something. It smelled like some stinking animal. Then I heard it running back and forth as if frantically looking for something. I could tell by the sound it was two-legged. I could feel the ground shake like when a herd of elk gets spooked. At this point, I hear a tree maybe six to ten inches on the stump come crashing to the ground behind me. At this point, I made extreme haste for the walls of the trench. Pulling on vines, I made my way out and straight for our vehicles. I did not linger at the trench for further investigation. From all of my experience in the woods, I can, with full confidence, say what I encountered was not a bear and was definitely two-legged. Hiking with a companion and two German shepherds around 9 a.m. in the Rogumpqua wilderness. Saw a large brown object moving fast through the understory, which was quite thick. Dogs chased the object. Both dogs had saddle packs. One dog had a tarp, which was securely rolled and tied on the middle of his back. Dogs were gone about three, five minutes and came running back. One dog, which had the tarp on return, and continued to run past us and ended up at the shelter, about one mile back where we had saved the night and was extremely scared. The other older dog stopped when encountering us and listened when we told it to stop, but was also very scared. Several things were unusual, the intense musty smell, something like a bull elk in heat, but not or not like a bear either. 
The dogs fear as they have chased bears, coyotes, deer, elk, and are never scared upon return. The tallness of the object as it was way too tall for a bear or elk. Too quiet for an elk also. The untied tarp which was securely tied, but upon return of the chase, the tarp was tied but just one knot. I tie good knots. As Lorna Park Ranger of the Green Lakes National Park, my days were usually filled with the routine tasks of patrolling and maintaining the park. But that particular evening was different. I had been off duty, indulging in a spot of elk hunting near the old growth, an area dense with towering trees that had seen centuries pass by. The sun was gently sinking, painting the sky in hues of orange and purple. It was my favorite time of the day in the park a time when the hustle of the day eased and the nocturnal orchestra started tuning up. The first scream pierced the peaceful dusk like a shard of glass. It was long, chilling, and unlike anything I'd ever heard in the park. My heart pounded in my chest as I tried to decipher the source. It sounded distant, past a clear cut some two hundred yards away. I gripped my hunting rifle tighter, my senses on high alert. The second scream came, then the third, each roughly five to six seconds long and spaced out over a span of ten minutes. The sounds were loud, almost deafening, echoing through the otherwise quiet forest. It felt as if the forest held its breath, the usual chirping of birds and rustling of leaves replaced by an eerie silence. What intrigued me was not just the volume or the frequency of the screams, but the pattern. It was as if whatever was making the sound was trying to communicate. The screams had a certain rhythm to them, an odd cadence that sounded like a kitty. As a park ranger, I was familiar with the cries and calls of the park's wildlife. But this was something new, something foreign. Every instinct told me to retreat to get to the safety of the ranger station, but my curiosity pushed me forward. I moved stealthily, my boots crunching softly against the forest floor. The screams had stopped, replaced by an unsettling silence. I felt the hair on the back of my neck stand up, a primal part of me acknowledging the unknown. As I neared the source of the sound, I took a deep breath, preparing myself for whatever was out there. The twilight had given way to the moon's pale glow, casting long, ominous shadows between the trees. I squinted, trying to make out any movement, but the forest stood still, as if it were holding its breath. Then, just as I was about to turn back, I saw it. In the clearing, bathed in the moonlight, was a creature. It was unlike anything I had seen before, a being straight out of a folk tale. As our eyes met, it let out a scream, the same chilling, ah, kitty, that had led me here. I held my breath, my grip on the rifle tightening. That night I came face to face with the unknown, and it changed my perspective forever. The park was not just a job anymore. It was a land of mysteries waiting to be discovered, and I was its custodian. Last year I was with a buddy of mine, and we were going to do the Hart Creek Scramble in Alberta, but due to some health conditions he has, it was going too strenuous to complete, and we figured we'd make it an easy day and just do the simple trail. 
Now we're both climbers and have been to Hart Creek for rock climbing in the past and had a great time, so it wasn't a surprise to see the sporadic climbers on the mountainside as we went. Hart Creek is also pretty popular and easy for people who just want to go for a nice nature walk and maybe have picnic. Anyway, so we walked in, enjoying the day, watching climbers on our way by. We saw a couple even doing some multi-pitch climbing, which means basically leap frogging up the route. We settled in for lunch about a half hour later and left a couple hours after that. On our way back, I remember seeing a climbing shoe in the creek and thinking, oh, someone must have lost this. I picked it up when my buddy got my attention and I looked further downstream. Both climbers, a young man, 29 or so, I learned later, and his partner were both lying the creek bed, rope and harnesses still attached, dead. It was very surreal. We had seen these people climbing not two hours before, making their calls, having a good time. The first reaction I had was that I remembered that there was a family right behind us, a husband and wife with a young daughter who were playing in the creek on the way down. We ran back and stopped them and explained as quietly as we could what was ahead, and before we knew it, looky, Luz had come back. It turned out that the husband was an off-duty RCMP officer, and so he took control of the situation. I learned later we weren't the first on scene, and that the authorities had been called. It was a very quiet ride back into town that day, though. Edit. I have more details if people are interested. Real edit. Holy crap, sorry, all. Okay, more details, so the couple who were climbing were both experienced enough, but one was still learning they attempted to do a dual lowering maneuver using each other's weight and feeding the rope through their belays. One of them made a mistake and lost their end of the rope, and that was it for both of them. There wasn't a lot of blood, strangely, and they looked very peaceful. I didn't get a good look at the girl. I mostly only saw the guy there. The story ran for a couple days in the area, talking about the male as the family of the girl didn't want to disclose anything. That was not something I thought I'd see that day, that's for sure. I'm going to peruse the comments for any specific questions. This is a story my uncle told us when he was younger, and my cousin was just some months old. I was around 15 or so. He was explaining it to my father and looked actually scared about it. For what he told my father and I heard there myself, he had been dreaming three, four times with the same old woman and his daughter. The woman had bright red eyes, and in all his dreams he heard his baby one way or another. So just a nightmare which sucked, but whatever. Some days later they go around town with their baby and took some photos. And when a couple of weeks later my uncle went to get them developed, he got a nasty surprise. In one of the photos of just the baby playing on some grass, there was an old woman at the background. The light had made it so she had red eyes, and my uncle sworn up and down it was the same woman that appeared in his dreams. And then his wife pipped in that indeed there was something strange there, because she could have sworn they were alone in the park while taking those photos. She didn't seem to believe it was that scary, but she hadn't noticed the woman at all, she said. They spent a week or so staying with us until my uncle decided it was his imagination, and they went back home. 
Two years later, his wife tried to kill him while he was sleeping with a knife and tried to go after their daughter, but that didn't have anything to do with it. Turns out having schizophrenia, not saying anything to your boyfriend, even when he turns into your husband, stopping taking your meds and your whole family deciding to lie to that same husband. Saying you were perfectly fine is not a good idea. Lived alone in a sub-basement, flat once. A lot of weird things happened that I put down to the fact I was constantly tired from working split shifts, six days a week. Honestly, if it was something else, it was actually super helpful. I'd come home knowing I really needed to put a clothes wash on, and when I got in, I'd find my clothes were clean. That kind of thing, but it was happening a lot. I really thought that my schedule was so messed up that I was doing things and not remembering doing them, so I was more concerned that I was losing my mind than being haunted. Anyway, the thing I really can't explain away is the time I was lying on my couch and I noticed something catching the light on a glass panel on the door. Got up to look at it and saw it was a kiss mark. But basically, from that moment on, I was finding them all over the place, on mirrors, on the other doors, even on the stovetop, basically any shiny surface. I may have been washing clothes without remembering, but I definitely wasn't going around kissing things in my flat. Oh, and also, I would often find my front door wide open, despite being sure that I'd locked it or at least shut it, which made me think that maybe a living human was getting into my place and doing weird shit. 